show so hot tonight. That's right. We brought it to Vegas and the desert, darling. You're going to see two championship matches tonight, plus Hulk Hogan going against the U.S. title holder, the one-man gang, Mr. Heenan. It don't get any better than this. No, it don't. And I want to see what Randy Savage is going to come up with. You know, the man's got a bad arm, a bad back, and he's going after the championship of the world. Do you have it, Savage? Can you reach down and get it? I don't think so. You heard it. Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our week-by-week breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed on the 20th anniversary of its airing. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, as always, is my broadcast partner, Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing this week? Good. Looking forward to title matches galore tonight. We are getting quite a few of them tonight on January 22nd, 1996, where we are coming to you live from Caesars Palace in Las Vegas, Nevada, in front of 3,100 fans. That is a sellout. And 2,750 of whom paid to get in for a total gate of $52,000 for those keeping score at home. That is definitely the best ratio of paid to total fans that we have had. And that is easily the highest gross that we have had as well. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I, s- I th- thought when they went to the arena is the arena is tiny. It is. And not only that, it's like the di- the dimensions, like the wall is like so apparent. It just, it not only it is it small. It plays really interesting on TV. Like you're saying that you can see kind of where, it, like you said, it, it feels you feel boxed in almost. Yeah. But it, I wouldn't even say it's a bad thing. I kind of like the presentation from inside Caesar's Palace. It it, it mm-hmm. I think it looks kind of cool. What do you th- what do you think? Did it was it a positive or a negative? Uh I I I tend to think it was a positive because when looking back at like the fact that we're going to go over these nitros like I could I could immediately picture what the arena looked like. Yes. It's, it's a very different look to everything else they've done and uh and I think if you if you have that kind of impact on the presentation that can't be a bad. That can't be a bad thing, because like when all those other shows, all the other arenas they've been to, like you can't tell any of them apart. Yep. So no, I didn't think it's a bad. And plus, for for WCW to have an arena that looks full is a good thing, no matter what the actual number is. Sure. Well, before we break down all the action this week, I want to remind you that you can find us at Facebook.com/slash Twenty Years of Nitro on Twitter by looking for at Twenty Years of Nitro. You can email the show at 20yearsofnitro at gmail.com. And you can find us at two fantastic web destinations. That's what I'm calling websites these days, web (laughs) destinations. The first is a great wrestling-centric site called piledriverwrestling.net, where we are located in the OSW Podcast Network section of the site. But please check out everything on the site. There's a lot of great content. And you can also find us at the more... Uh, pop culture focused although they also certainly have some good wrestling stuff in their own right that is the freaking awesome network at freaking awesome network.net as we announced last week too i want to just get an early plug-in for tomorrow's bonus episode where we are going to be joined by john amantorp once again to break down the clash of the champions uh, certainly a lot of the things that happen at tonight's show are going to impact tomorrow's clash of the champions and uh, some things kind of that set up now are paid off then, so we thought it'd be best to do a full-on bonus episode, and and especially since that is uh, 
even though it's treated somewhat like a pay-per-view, it really is a TV event. Yeah. And it just it felt right to uh to include full coverage of that and we're looking forward to uh chatting with you tomorrow again about some classic WCW. <laughs> To start off this show, uh, the first thing that catches my eye as we look at the announcers is that Mongo and Pepe are both in little tuxes. <laughs> well, <laughs> I should say Mongo is in a full human-sized tux, <laughs> and Pepe is in a little dog-sized tux. It's, <laughs> it's, it's really good to clarify. <laughs> Pepe also is wearing a little top hat, and he kind of looks like Slash uh, from Guns N' Roses with that top hat, I thought. <laughs> Except for the whole dog part of him. <laughs> Except where he's a dog. <laughs> Despite the Clash of the Champions being tomorrow, we are getting a huge show tonight full of title matches. Uh, Randy Macho Man Savage is going to take on Ric Flair for the heavyweight title. Sting and Lex Luger are going to take on Harlem Heat for the tag belts. And the U.S. champion, the One Man Gang, is going to be in action against Hulk Hogan, although that is not a title match as uh, Hogan definitely wants to beat the one-man gang, yes. uh, but he does not want a title that is beneath him in his <laughs> eyes, I'm sure. <laughs> so uh, the announcers are about to kind of keep talking uh, and get us out to our first match, but they are interrupted by a young, uh, bald gentleman uh, who introduces himself as Conan. Uh, and you know what? It's, it's pretty short what he's got to say, so I'm just going to include it here as an audio clip. All that action coming your way. Tonight, well, it's a pleasure to be here in WCW where the big boys play. My name is Conan. I am the Mexican heavyweight champion. And tomorrow, right here in Las Vegas, I will pull up my title for the very first time against Psychosis. And Psychosis is going to be a blueprint for your destruction. Tomorrow, I will lead, just as I came in, the Mexican's heavyweight champion. Thank you very much, Conan. And you heard it. He will be defending There's that Mexican go. championship. We're going to talk more about tomorrow night. Right now, let's go to the ring. So there you go. Conan uh, says that he is the Mexican champion, mm -hmm. and he is going to be defending. Uh, he's got a belt with him to prove it. Yep. And he's going to be defending this Mexican championship tomorrow on the Clash against Psychosis. Uh, we've never seen Conan. We've never seen Psychosis. Uh, this is certainly an interesting and last-minute way to um, build up a, a match on the Clash. I, I, you know, it seems very odd the way that this is just done mm -hmm. in the, like, an instant. It's just, I'm Conan, I'm the Mexican champion, I'm defending it tomorrow. Bye. <laughs> and Bischoff's like, yeah, what he said is correct. Let's go to the ring. <laughs> we are going to break down uh, who exactly Conan and Psychosis are, uh, and we are going to get to the bottom of that Mexican championship. <laughs> uh, and we will do that on tomorrow's Clash of the Champions episode. Uh, this is just sort of a quick introduction mm -hmm. to to Conan. So, what did you think of this method uh, as a promotion of a match? Like, does this convince anyone else to watch Clash of the Champions? Uh, well, it seemed like the announcers were ready to move on as soon as he left. That's true. You know what? I guess uh, to answer my own question a bit, um, Conan is huge in Mexico, mm -hmm. and we will talk about that more tomorrow. But he is, uh, despite the fact that he seems like a nobody in this little WCW appearance, yeah. he is a major star south of the border. Mm -hmm. So if there are Mexican or Mexican-American fans watching this, that might get them, you know, it might get more viewers as they tell their friends, Conan is making his American debut. Yeah. So, I, I you know, maybe there is a, an argument that having him on in any capacity to say he's going to be on Clash mm -hmm. is a big deal in the Mexican market. 
Yeah, no, I I agree with the decision to show him on Nitro to get people to watch Clash. Yeah, I just think the way they did it was a very yeah rushed and 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 it didn't seem like the announcers were really prepared to do any hyping of him. So we go to the ring for our uh, kickoff match of the show, which is apparently going to be our World Heavyweight Championship match. <laughs> I don't know why your Heavyweight Championship is is jerking the curtain, but whatever. I, I'm just going to say, if Hulk Hogan was in this title match, it would not be first. Hogan is in a non-title match, and it's the main fucking <laughs> event of this show, if that tells you anything. <laughs> Speaking of jerking the curtain, uh, Macho Man comes out with a group of lovely women, uh, including, though not announced, mm-hmm. Linda Hogan and uh, Deborah McMichael. Yep. Hulk Hogan and Steve Mongo McMichael's wives, respectively. Also out is Woman, a.k.a. Nancy Sullivan, mm-hmm. Kevin Sullivan's wife, although she is specifically mentioned as she has been a longtime uh, fixture of, of wrestling television. So whereas Linda and Deborah are not on-screen personalities, uh, Deborah certainly will be eventually, but she is not at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, woman is a major on-screen personality. <clears throat> woman, uh, a.k.a. Nancy Sullivan, a.k.a. the future Nancy Benoit, is a former model whose introduction to the business was mainly just posing for wrestling magazines, uh, through which she met her future husband, Kevin Sullivan, who convinced her to join his Satanist faction in Florida Championship Wrestling. <laughs> I, uh, kind of interesting. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hold hold that thought. Uh, in, in her posing for wrestling magazines, I think it's interesting if you're uh, a listener who is a fan of other wrestling podcasts, you may have heard the guys over on We Watch Wrestling, certainly one of the most popular shows out there. Uh, they've talked a little bit about a feature in some wrestling magazine called Apartment Wrestling, which was <laughs> just getting two attractive women in wrestling gear into an apartment, and they would like stage like they were having a match in this apartment, and it was just sort of like to play up like a kinky lesbian fantasy, basically. Huh. Um, so, huh. Nan- <laughs> so woman uh, Nancy Sullivan was in some of those apartment wrestling features that have been alluded to on the We Watch Wrestling podcast. <laughs> What were what were you gonna say earlier? I was I was just wondering how that conversation went. Uh, about Kevin Sullivan, <laughs> join join my Satanist cult, please. Uh, she would eventually marry Kevin Sullivan while managing him, uh, both in Florida Championship Wrestling and other um, NWA affiliated promotions. She then had a stint in WCW from '89 to '90, where she managed the likes of uh, Rick Steiner and Kevin Sullivan. Before she was paired with the Four Horsemen. Hmm. for a bit uh so that's the big deal the announcers are making of her presence and and it's supposedly a way that macho man is screwing with flair by coming out with a bunch of women which is more a four horsemen deal but specifically one of them being a woman that flair has history with yeah she left wcw and joined ecw along with kevin sullivan and stayed there even after he left uh he came to wcw and became their head booker but she stayed in ecw and know there have long been rumors of her coming to WCW. Sullivan has gone in the WCW hotline and denied it several times. Um, I don't know why. I don't know why this was treated as a big deal. But anyway, she's here. Uh, this was originally claimed to be just a one-shot appearance. Uh-huh. Uh, but as we'll see, that's not true. She's she's going to be around for a while. Uh, on his way to the ring, Randy Macho Man stops to give a brief promo. And he's interrupted by Hulk Hogan. And let's hear what those two lovable bastards have to say to each other. <laughs> Mind all over the world that the Macho Man Randy 
Savage is gonna be steaming hot tonight. I don't think, oh yeah. You know something, brother? The first thing that I wanna do, Macho Man, because you're my best friend, is wish you good luck tonight, brother. Thank you. But with your entourage of beautiful ladies that are gonna blow Ric Flair out of this building, when you win the WCW title, brother, I want the first shot at it. What about it, Macho Man? What it is, is what it is. But first things first, let's get to the squared circle and let's take on the nature boy and strip him of his belt. All right, the Macho Man Randy Savage for the entourage. So there you go. Hogan just wants a chance to wish his best friend good luck. Uh, because really, this title match between Ric Flair and Randy Savage should be all about Hulk Hogan. <laughs> right. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. It just... <laughs> Randy Savage couldn't even get to the ring before <laughs> before Hogan starts stealing his thunder. It's, he is such a cock. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And <laughs> this This whole episode is just the embodiment of how terrible... Hulk Hogan can be when it comes to self-serving purposes. Yep. For a while on past episodes, I, we haven't really called it out specifically, although I think we played audio clips. Uh, Savage and Hogan have been teasing that they're going to have some kind of secret weapons for Clash of the Champions. Yeah. And uh, Bischoff decides to let the cat out of the bag at this point, and he tells us that the secret weapon is going to be, drumroll please, Miss Elizabeth. <laughs> How right. that is going to help defeat Ric Flair and or the Giant in that tag <laughs> match. I haven't the foggiest fucking clue. Elizabeth uh, certainly was a lovely lady who who did a great job in you know the role she had, but she certainly never helped anyone win a match. That just wasn't <laughs> right. her role. Yeah, it was never a part of Elizabeth's role. And not only that, like when it came to Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, she always did a good job of like dividing the two guys. Right. You know, she's she's the worst possible person you could bring out so we will talk about her uh her history and and who she is a little bit you know if you've been living under a wrestling rock uh we'll talk about her on tomorrow's show uh we also learned that alongside randy and, and hogan tomorrow is going to be kevin green from the pittsburgh steelers hooray Yay. <laughs> um i just yeah since we're getting close to this match starting i just want to kind of make a uh, a comment of uh of woman yeah i I really, I really liked woman. Um, as far as, it's so confusing to say woman, women. It's such a degrading fucking name. Yeah, no, she's just called woman yeah. for God's sake. But uh, she, she was like one of the best when it came to like these just killer stares. Okay. Or just the her, her the expressions. She had like such great expressions that were both like alluring but also just made her look like she was just utterly dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, I got to confess, I have, like other than news reports from the Benoit murders, mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever seen woman in any capacity. Like oh, this, watching okay. this episode was my first exposure to her as like a wrestling character. Yeah. No, she, um, she really didn't, I don't know if she really had much of like a wrestling background. Or if she wrestled or anything, she was more just like 
she was more of a manager on the lo- along the lines of Miss Elizabeth, where there wasn't a whole lot of physicality. Right. But I just I just thought that she has uh she had like this really great presence uh, around her that. If you're going to have someone come out to the ring with you, have someone that has an idea of how to sell the match. Right. It's like nowadays, if you like thinking about when Paul Heyman is a manager for uh, Brock Lesnar and he could he's out outside the ring selling the right. match. Uh, I felt like that she did a very good job at, at, at that same aspect. And so not only I mean, obviously, her name is very degrading, but the fact that she's kind of brought out with like the typical like blonde bimbos right it, it, she did not fit in place with with basically what they were uh yeah she's sort of a uh she's brunette she's got like black hair and she's mm-hmm. kind of like uh cat-like yeah with her like her face kind of resembles a cat almost mm-hmm. and just her manners she's very yeah she's a certainly a fascinating person to watch mm-hmm. um just kind of the way she moves and uh you, i certainly you know can see where the you're drawn to her um, and she's not, I wouldn't say like an, out, she's not, she's beautiful, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But she's not like a, a stunning knockout of a woman. Mm-hmm. She's more interesting uh, yeah. than that. And and definitely a cool character, and I'm looking forward to seeing how that develops. Uh, before the bell, Flair goes over to Woo Woman, or <laughs> to talk to her about why she's there, or to maybe get her back on his side, but she just slaps the shit out of him. <laughs> he, he goes up, but he's like, He's like dancing, like yeah, dancing around. He, he like grabs her by the arm, tries to, like, I think tries to do like the twirl, right? And and like the whole like, uh, this is what I was thinking of. Like woman's like whole reaction to it, like her body language says you can't be fucking serious <laughs> right <laughs> yes. now. Yeah, then she slaps him, and in complete flare style, he just like drops on his ass. <laughs> <laughs> Savage then attacks Flair on the floor, and the women just head to the locker room. So I'm not sure, like, how successful the head games. I mean, I guess Flair did get slapped and then beat up from behind. Yeah, but it's not like a game changer. <laughs> right. It's not. I I don't really get what the point of it was, other than to reintroduce woman into storylines. Yeah. I guess also and um, to get Linda and Deborah paychecks and to bring him to Vegas. Hey, you want to? You know, that, you wanna... <laughs> I could buy that being the reason. Um. At this point, once a match started, I, I just kind of realized there's a lot of outside elements that are going on right now. They're distracting from the fact that there's an actual title match. Right. Because it's the women and uh, the announcers are talking about all these matches at the Clash and Hogan coming out, just right. being Hogan. It should have been focused on the title match. Right. And it was, the focus was far from that. In the ring, we get some back-and-forth action uh, as Bobby claims for some reason that Woman was a founding member of the Horsemen, despite the fact that she didn't join until, like, five years into the Horsemen <laughs> being a faction. <laughs> He's waiting to see if anyone calls his bluff on that. <laughs> <laughs> More back-and-forth as Bobby then reveals that the Road Warriors are back together. Uh, Bischoff confirms and says that they are going to be on The Clash tomorrow. Uh, and I'll get the exact date when we talk about it tomorrow, but I believe this has been... About four years since the Road Warriors have uh, competed as a tag team, so this oh, is okay. this is pretty big news, mm-hmm. especially in WCW where they were always more over than they were as the Legion of Doom. Uh, you know, the Legion of Doom was very successful, but it always felt like the Road Warriors' uh, true home was in WCW. Yeah, Jimmy Hart distracts the ref so Flair can throw Savage over the top rope. Uh, Hart then runs all the way around the ring to give Randy one of his patented soft little Jimmy Hart kicks. <laughs> Uh, Pat- Patman. 
<laughs> Flair heads out and whips Savage into the guardrail, uh, which goes like flying back into the front row of folks there. Savage hits a desperation backdrop on Flair on the uh, concrete gym mats. I thought I'd get something for that joke because they're gym mats. They're not made out of concrete, but <laughs> Bischoff claims they're, wow. <laughs> See, it's really funny. It's so funny I have to explain it for like 45 <laughs> seconds. He hits him on the gym mats. Bischoff says it's concrete, but it's not. It's gym mats. He then goes up to the top rope and uh, tries it a flying double axe handle to the outside, but Flair moves, and Macho Man ends up hitting the guardrail. We get a commercial, and I am going to play for you the audio clip of a commercial that remains on the network uh, for WCW Magazine. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty fun commercial featuring Sting, so let's let's hear that now. Wow! This WCW Magazine is really cool! In the February issue, you'll see exclusive photos of World War III, including Ric Flair and Sting's brutal conflict. And is it a family feud? I'm torn apart! Or something more? Find out! Plus, the Macho Man, Randy Savage, speaks out. That's right, brother! Man! Where do they get this stuff? Get your copy now on newsstands everywhere. After that uh, commercial, we go back to the ring where Savage uh, hits Flair and whips him into the corner. Flair does his little flip over the top rope and out to the floor. Eventually, back in the ring, Flair begs off and goes for a low blow on Savage. But then he kind of gets up and does the Flair flop where he's, like, standing there and then falls. Yeah. But for no reason. Yeah. I can't think of any offense that happened to him, like, within 45 <laughs> seconds prior to him doing that. Yeah. It's like he forgot that no one hit him or something. <laughs> it's very weird and hilarious. <laughs> Savage blocks a hip toss into a backslide yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for a two count flair counters a headlock attempt with a shin breaker and then locks on the figure four uh he grabs the ropes like he loves to do mm -hmm. but randy anderson catches him and tries to get flair to break the hold which flair won't do so randy anderson grabs flair by the hair yeah and pulls him off uh flair is unhappy about that and shoves anderson who shoves him back and flair does a great job selling that the tiny little Randy Anderson has actually, like, shoved him very hard. Yeah, and he looks pretty livid, too. And it reminds me of something that I remember reading in Flair's book. Uh, he was one of the first to kind of bring in the bumping for the ref kind of thing where he would get shoved down by an angry referee. Uh -huh. And that includes when he was NWA champ. And he says that some of the old-timers were just aghast that the champion would sell for the ref. <laughs> but Flair just said, like, he would do anything it took to get the crowd, yeah. you know, to hate him or to get into the match. And he didn't mind selling for anybody, including <laughs> the ref. And that's why Flair is one of the best. Yeah. The fact that he's out there getting pops for Randy Anderson <laughs> is just why Flair is such an artist. You know, he's amazing. <laughs> by the way, I kind of I kind of thought, like, as a referee, pulling one of the ref other wrestlers by the hair is kind of unprofessional. Oh, <laughs> The shit the refs do to, uh, tonight that's unprofessional, Ooh, oh my god, this is a bad night for referees. Flair lets that go, he doesn't really, he takes the shove, but he doesn't get into it more with Anderson, he just yeah. kind of moves on. He hits the rolling knee drop on Savage, uh, but Savage is pretty okay, and he gets up to the top rope and hits a couple double flying axe handles, mm -hmm. uh, but Jimmy Hart is back up on that apron, distracting that ref again. Oh, Jimmy. At this part, Arn Anderson runs down with his like uh, foreign object that's been used so much lately, the 
the taped brass knuckles or the taped up knucks or whatever you want to call them. whatever it is. Flair then holds Savage for Arn to punch him with the knucks, but Savage moves and Flair gets nailed. Uh, So this is what I was talking about, the ref. Jimmy Hart does such a bad job. It's his job as the guy distracting the ref, Uh and he can see what's going on. Yeah. So he has to give Randy Anderson the cue of, okay, now you can turn around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he he tells him way too early. So Randy Anderson is clearly watching yeah, as Arn Anderson yeah. accidentally punches Ric Flair. That should be a DQ finish, and Randy can't win the belt. But, of course, that's not the finish of the match. Right. So Randy Anderson has to just be like, oh, I didn't see that. Even though when the punch happened, he jumped in the air like doing ref selling, like, oh, what a punch. <laughs> so he's he's even sold the move that he's now pretending didn't happen within his <laughs> sight. Or alternately, he's such an unprofessional dick that he's like, yeah, I don't give a shit. That flair was being a real asshole. So I'm going to just count the pin. Yeah, I just because <laughs> I was trying to find reason for him, too. And it was like, well, I mean, if it's comeuppance for the heel they can, they'll just let that slide. I guess so. <laughs> but the again, that would be an instance where the announcers fail to do their job. Yeah. Because they don't pick up on that at all. Hogan uh, is out because, of course, he is. And he yanks Arn off the apron as Savage goes up to the top rope. Uh, at this point, the bell rings. Pretty lo- pretty loudly and for, like, for a while, too. So I don't know if the timekeeper or the bell ringer, whatever we're calling him, I don't know if he saw that Randy Anderson saw the punch and he assumed it was a DQ Mm -hmm. or if no one told him what the finish was supposed to be. Who knows? But the fucking bell's ringing. Uh, The match is still going on because Macho Man goes up top, hits the Macho Elbow for the one, two, three, and your new heavyweight champion of the world is Randy Macho Man Savage. You know, thinking about the fact that, that the announcers usually didn't know how the matches were going to finish... I can imagine that the the timekeeper probably wasn't told right. what the finish was, and so he saw a foreign object, and then there's guys coming down to the ring, so he goes for the the the, the repetitive DQ like stop the madness sort of bell ringing. What was what was the WWF pay per view that ended with some kind of shenanigans where the bell rang? Wasn't it Brock Brock uh, SummerSlam last year? Brock and Taker, and wasn't there the bell rang early and it became like a whole thing? Yeah. And everyone on the internet was bitching about how ridiculous that is because the bell guy never rings early. That's, like, completely unheard of. Mm-hmm. Well, no, apparently it happened in this fucking match. <laughs> no, that yeah, that was the one where the, the, the timekeeper saw Undertaker tap out. Right. That sort of thing. Yeah, so that this is, like, the same thing. The bell ringer saw the DQ, so he calls it. Right. And the ref is just like, nope. <laughs> bell, did, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> So Savage wins his second WCW World Heavyweight title, and Hogan is in the ring celebrating like he just won the fucking title. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it got to the point where Savage is like, what are you doing? Yeah, uh, let's go to an audio clip where Savage really goes into Hogan for, and keep in mind, this is the second time Hogan's done this, because the end of WrestleMania 4 is the exact same thing. Savage wins the title, and Hogan makes it all about how happy he is rather than how Randy is great, you know? Yeah. So let's go to an audio clip with these two uh, arguing. Gentlemen, we have a new WCW heavyweight champ of the Macho Man, Randy Savage Hulk Hogan. 
I got something to say right straight to your eyes, brother. You're celebrating this match like you want it. I want it. I am the WCW World Heavyweight Champion. You understand that? You're clowning around the ring. Don't embarrass yourself like that, brother. We're friends. We've been Ellen back 12 times. 13's either our lucky number or our unlucky number, brother. Understood ya? Well, you know something, Macho Man? Congratulations on being the new WCW Heavyweight Champion, brother. But I might add, with a little help from your best friend, man, and by the way, after the one-man gang tonight, I would love to have the first shot at the title, brother. Uh-oh. Here we go. You've been watching my back for a long time, and I've also been watching your back for a long time. And you know something? I can't wait till the next lifetime. You get your red and yellow together. My name's not Nick Bockwinkle. I'm not the WCW committee. I'm only the world heavyweight champion. Oh. You get yourself up to the number one spot, and I'll give you a title shot. And I'm looking, look at me. Oh. You just look at me right now, friend. I want to do it right here in Caesar's Palace. Do you understand? Gentlemen, can I point something out? Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan, you've got uh, fish to fry before you get to that because tomorrow night it's the two of you meeting the Nature Boy and the Giant. Well, first things first, brother. You're right. You're not Nick Bockwinkle. But just like I watched your back tonight, brother, you watch mine with a one-man gang. After I take care of him, I'll do whatever I have to do for these Hulkamaniacs to get to the number one position, brother. And after I get, after I get to that number one position, brother, as far as I'm concerned, right here in Caesar's Palace, we'll get it on, brother. Brother, this match has got to happen. Hulk Hogan versus the Macho Man. And if you can beat me, I'm going to shake your hand. But guess what? If I beat you, which is probably gonna happen, I want you to shake my hand too, right here at Caesar's Palace. You got a deal or no deal? You got a deal, we start tonight. Ooh, yeah! Thank you very much, gentlemen. Double, oh yeah! Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan tomorrow night at the Clash of the Champions. They're gonna be collaborating the big news, Kevin Green. So there you have it. Hogan wants his first title shot. Uh, Savage again says he's not Nick Bockwinkle, but uh, he'll, you know, if that match happens, it'll happen. He, he'd be glad to do it any time. And they tease doing it here at Caesar's Palace, uh, which is yeah. sort of odd because there's no scheduled events at Caesar's Palace. There's no upcoming pay-per-view. Mm -hmm. These guys are basically just going into business for themselves. <laughs> right. uh, it seems like. I, I also like because... So this is the second week in the row where where Hulk Hogan's like, I'm your friend, but I'm just going to dress you down in front of everyone. Right. And this time, like, Randy Savage is not putting up with this yeah. bullshit. Yes. Because he's getting, like, in his face. And he's like, this is the way it's going to be. Like, I'm the champion, and you're going you're gonna to have to, like, earn your title shot. I'm not just going to give it to you because you're a dick. And also, if we face each other, I'm going to beat you. So deal with that. <laughs> Even though he's never once beat Hulk Hogan. It's never happened. No, it, but he no. is pretty confident that this time, yeah, it's gonna happen. I, I just like <laughs> the, his his kind of 
his kind of like dick move to Hulk Hogan is telling him like you have to earn the title shot. Right. I'm not just gonna grant it to you. Even though Hogan has lost like a match since coming into WCW. <laughs> yeah. It's not gonna be hard for Hulk Hogan to get, obtain himself a title. Right. Match. Uh, I, I also enjoy Mean Gene trying to get them to promote Clash of the Champions and their match together, yeah. their tag team match, <laughs> and they completely ignore him and just <laughs> instead promote their completely fictional match that they're going to have at Caesar's Palace against <laughs> each other. I mean, when they when they talk about, like, in WCW with tag teams are not getting along, yeah, like, Sting and Luger look like the Steiner brothers right. in comparison <laughs> to these two guys. It may be worth noting that there have been some talks about permanently moving Nitro to Caesar's Palace where they would do one episode live and tape one episode so they would do about half as many live episodes. It would save them a lot of money. Not okay. touring would save them a lot of money. The wrestlers like going to Vegas. Um, so there have been some talks about that. It doesn't really go anywhere. Uh-huh. But so that might be why Hogan and Macho are drumming up interest in them wrestling at Caesar's Palace. But like I said, I think they're just going to business for themselves yeah. and promoting a match that doesn't exist so that WCW has to make it exist. <laughs> I So overall, uh, I thought the match was okay, uh, but I hate that the title change for the heavyweight title came in the opening segment of the show. Mm-hmm. I don't like that it happened on Nitro at all when mm-hmm. Clash of the Champions is tomorrow. Uh, it really a wasted opportunity. I I think it's kind of a hot shot of the title change, and I don't get it. Um, I, it kind of explains in retrospect why Randy was okay losing cleanly to Lex last week. You know, sure. hey, you're sure. going to be the champ. Why don't you, you know, mm-hmm. will you, on your way, will you lose cleanly to Lex? Well, sure, what the fuck do I care at that point? Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, real weird cha- uh, uh, title change in the opening segment of Nitro. Yeah, and then and then the momentum for that title change comes to a screeching halt and to the point where it's like, you know, they come back from a commercial break and pretty much discussion of it ends. Yeah. Very, very odd. Anyway, next is a commercial, and as we come back, Dean Malenko is out uh, to face Brian Pillman. Yeah, Dean Malenko's finally back. Yeah. Uh, Pillman comes out with a cane that's mm-hmm. got a horse head handle, which I think is awesome for a horseman. Yeah. Uh, especially because he never walks with it. Like, that cane does not touch the ground at any <laughs> point. He's also started doing a thing uh, that he does occasionally where he cuts, like, one boob out of his T-shirt <laughs> so that just, like, you can see one peck. Yeah. It's very weird, but it's <laughs> so different that I like it. Yeah. It, nobody else does that weird-ass thing, so <laughs> it makes him stand out. That's <laughs> That's what he did it last week too. And so it's like because uh Arne Anderson was talking about be dressed like a yeah, business meeting. Yeah. He's like he's like <laughs> needs to be censored. Uh Bischoff sort of does a cool job, I think, playing with Kayfabe a little bit. Uh he says that Pillman has been walking a very, very fine line if you get my drift. And I think he's sort of alluding, he's sort of saying to the smart fans uh-huh. or the fans that think they're smart mm-hmm. that Pillman is like in legitimate hot water with WCW over some of his loose cannon stuff. Yeah. And I think that's a very subtle, cool way to play it. Mm-hmm. And my hat for once goes off to Eric Bischoff because I think that was masterfully done. And what was, uh, that reminds me, the few weeks ago, who was the opponent that, uh, that Benoit beat and then Pillman spit on him. Uh, that was Alex Wright. Okay, because after I remember after that match, 
Eric Bischoff made a comment about like with antics like that, you might not see him around much longer. Yes. Yep. So, and if you read, interestingly enough, uh, especially with the full uh, benefit of hindsight, mm-hmm. we know. And again, we'll we'll talk about the whole thing in a, in a future episode. But suffice it to say, at this point. Bischoff and Pillman are in on this together. Yeah. Nothing Pillman is doing is without Bischoff's permission and knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that goes to the extent of even working the boys. Pillman yeah. is doing things to convince the other wrestlers that he is really unhinged and doesn't care about his job. And Bischoff knows that and is okay with it. It's something they're doing together. Yeah. Um, so considering all that together, it's interesting to note that when you read Meltzer at the time, Meltzer legitimately thinks that Pillman is doing things that is going to get him fired. I've huh. never seen it, uh, Meltzer get worked as hard as I am with this angle. Weird. When you read, he reads like something that he'll state something Pillman said and be like, this guy's going to get fired. Bischoff even said on commentary, don't be surprised if he's not around much longer. Oh, okay. Meltzer is getting worked. Uh-huh. And it's so kind of cool to see. And you can see why if you sometimes when you read about this thing, wrestlers working other wrestlers, you're like, what's the fucking point of that? But when you kind of see it through that perspective – and Bischoff is tired of Meltzer leaking things. Meltzer actually leaked the title change. He knew that Randy Savage was winning the belt this week. Okay. So that was spoiled. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be able to get one over on him must have felt so rewarding to Bischoff yeah. that I could see why he would go down that path a bit. Okay. Anyway, anyway. To start the match, Pillman catches Malenko with a back elbow out of a hammerlock and starts nailing some chops. Malenko takes him down with a hip toss and a drop kick. Uh, Malenko then goes for a Texas clover leaf early, but Pillman slips away through the ropes and goes out to the floor where he just kind of yells at the crowd a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the ring, Pillman has problems with the ref and the cameraman. Yeah. He's just yelling at the cameraman to get out of his face. He's yelling at the ref. And Dean, uh, either, I'm not sure if he's just selling the match really well or if he's legitimately annoyed at all this. He shoves Pillman and just like is like, come on, like he's getting aggressive with Pillman. Like mm-hmm. I'm the guy you're wrestling here. And uh, I thought it was a real cool little moment. Yeah, I, I, I was starting to notice that, too. I thought that Dean Malenko was getting a little bit annoyed by the antics because um, Pillman was, a lot of his antics were breaking the momentum of the match. Yes. And I feel like that Dean Malenko was getting kind of frustrated with, like, there's moments where he actually, he like, when he's yelling, when Pillman's yelling at the camera, there's a moment where Dean Malenko pulls up because he doesn't know should I attack him now? Right. He turns around and he just like is waiting like, well, what do we do? Because he has no way to figure out how to how the flow of this match is going to work. And it's like of all the people for him to face, someone that is like a consummate professional like Dean Malenko that s- probably sticks to the script more than right. anyone else. I could you could imagine he would just get super annoyed by it. Absolutely. Uh, Pillman manages to get Dean down on the mat with a face buster. And then he rubs Malenko's face into the mat while screaming into the camera that he has a full metal jacket. Yeah. (laughs) He then hits a suplex for two. He goes for another pin, but instead changes his mind, uh, flashes a four in Dean's face, and then just slaps him hard in the face. An angry Malenko, uh, just pissed from that disrespect, tackles him and starts nailing him with forearms to the face. Malenko uh, then hits a running corner clothesline and a very nice brain buster. Yeah, and this is another example where I think that the uh, there's there's a definitely a disconnect between these two because after the brain buster, Brian Pillman, by all appearances, is acting like he's knocked out. Correct. Yeah. And, and Dean Blanco, like he he grabs his head, he's acting knocked out, but like 
Dean's like, no, we're going to keep going. So he, like, he like forces him up. Yeah, he forces him up because he wants to hit a uh, neck breaker. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's another example of where, like, from the very beginning, like, Dean Malenko's just not figuring out what Brian Pillman's doing. And so at some point he's probably like, I just need to take control of this match because he's clearly not going to cooperate. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, like I said, Malenko hits that reverse neck breaker for a two count. Pillman then begs off into the corner, and Malenko goes for a running charge, but Pillman gets a knee up and then hits a tornado DDT. Pillman covers Dean for like half a second before changing his mind again yeah. and instead just getting up and yelling at Nick Patrick some more. <laughs> he then gets Dean up and hits some uh, chops, but that just fires up Malenko, who hits a tiger bomb for a two count. He then drop kicks Pillman. Uh, Pillman heads out to the outside of the ring. On the floor, Pillman sends Malenko into the guardrail, regaining control of the match. Uh, they fight on the outside for a bit and then head back in the ring where Pillman goes for another tornado DDT, but this time Malenko just shoves him off. Malenko then hits a gut buster and uh, locks Pillman in sort of a grapevine ankle lock submission. Mm -hmm. That seems like the best thing to call it, I think. Yeah, and after the uh, the fireman's carry into the gut buster, yeah. I liked it that Dean Malenko, he took a moment because he was getting a, a applause from the crowd. They, yeah. They, like, the crowd just loves that move. Yes. It I, looks great. It looks, yeah. I mean, the top rope version is the ultimate, but even the regular gut buster just looks fantastic. Yeah, and I, I thought it was really good uh, uh, pacing on Dimolinko's behalf to kind of wait there because it was kind of like a moment where he was being appreciated. Uh, so Pillman breaks out of that submission by getting to the ropes. They then battle on the apron a little bit, but... Malenko gets knocked down, causing his foot to get trapped between the ropes. Uh -huh. So what's meant to happen is his his leg is trapped in the ropes. Pillman is meant to then pin him right away. Uh, but unfortunately, Pillman falls to the floor. His momentum just carries him to the floor. Yeah. So he has to then jump back up onto the apron, crawl through the ropes, and get the pin. But what that means is that Nick Patrick clearly sees that Dean Malenko's <laughs> right. foot is caught in the ropes. Yeah. So when he counts the one, two, three, giving Brian Pillman the victory, uh -huh. <laughs> it makes no sense because there should be a rope break. It already makes Nick Patrick look – that finish even when pulled off would look dumb because uh -huh. they're so close to the ropes. Mm -hmm. Any ref would make sure that a foot wasn't on the ropes or under the ropes. Mm -hmm. So it already is dumb. But the fact that – Pillman falls and Nick Patrick has nothing else to look at. Right. There's nothing he can conceivably <laughs> look at without looking like a major idiot. <laughs> right. So he has to see Benoit or B Malenko. Mm -hmm. He has to see Malenko and, and then he counts the pin anyway. It we're over two yeah. on refs with endings of matches tonight. It oh man. Yeah. Also also, once he once Dean's leg got caught, yeah, uh, there's like this almost comical moment where Brian Pillman's reaching for ropes that aren't there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I thought, uh, despite them being on different pages at times, I thought overall this was a really good match um, in yeah. selling Pillman's character, and Dean is the perfect guy to match him up with because if you have a loose cannon, mm -hmm. the best like the natural foil for that is an Iceman. Yeah. You know, it makes perfect sense that the emotionless guy is up against the most emotional guy you have. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought they did a great job. I thought the ending was terrible. Um, and there were some some issues with the match. But overall, I thought it was great. And if you're if you're a smart fan, uh, it did a good job of making you unsure as to what's going on with Brian Pillman, how much is real 
and how much is is not. Yeah, I I mean I have no idea because uh, there really isn't any like memoirs or insights on on Dean Winkle anywhere. Because he, he just doesn't seem like a person that shares like personal feelings to sure. anyone. If he has personal if feelings, if he has them. <laughs> but uh, it seems like for Dean Malenko, this match could have been really frustrating. Um, but the it the product is really good. Uh, yes, it, even if it's ain't frustrating for him, it, it comes off really well as like his opponent is completely baffled by his antics. So I thought the re- I thought the result was good, even if. Uh, even if like getting there was not uh, enjoyable. Absolutely. We get a commercial followed by a promo for Saturday night, uh, which I would just like to note that Saturday night is going to have a match of Ric Flair versus Alex Wright, which sounds like a match that I would really like to see. Yeah. And uh, in fact, as I mentioned to you a little earlier, I have a torrent file downloading of all of the 1996 (laughs) Saturday nights. So see that match. I shall. (laughs) Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> we then get the uh, promo for the Clash, which once again really only talks about Parker and Sherry, mm-hmm. even though that car is pretty firmed up now. Harlem Heat's fucking incredible music plays yes. as they come out to defend <laughs> their tag title bats, uh, belts against Sting and Luger. God, I love the Harlem Heat theme song. Yeah, you can tell it's a good theme song because it's 2015 and Booker T still uses it. And basically never stopped. Yeah. It's uh, maybe when he was King Booker. I didn't really watch during the King Booker era. Did he have different music then? I I don't remember because he was also on SmackDown a lot. I don't watch a lot of SmackDown. Oh, okay. Um, but and we mentioned this before. Like, uh, I also thought the Harlem Heat. Whereas, I mean, I think there was a argument about it being racist, but uh, just it's you know on the racist side, but not by a much. If that makes any sense. Right. No, I mean, there's not like, they're not making like an overtly like racist comment by having them be from Harlem. Right. Harlem Heat is just like a great name. So good. Yeah. Uh, In a pretty amusing moment that I think I'll play an audio clip of, Bischoff and Heenan start talking at the same time and then both stop so the other guy can go and then do it again. And Heenan decides to play off just this sort of natural, awkward human moment by flipping the fuck out. (laughs) So let's hear what that sounds like. Every time I try to talk, I you get it, you, you do that purposely to make me look stupid. I and I don't need talk. you to make me look stupid because I second that. I, 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 I was going to talk about Miss Elizabeth. I was going to talk about Kevin Green. I was going to talk about Road Warrior Animal Hunt. But no, no, no. you got to talk when I talk. I'm not talking anymore. I'm not talking anymore. Put a sack in it. The WCW World Tag Team Champion, Harlem Heat, coming out. And they look live, they look ready to go. And as you've noticed, there's no Sister Sherry here, my friends. They told her, take a hike. I'm gonna raise my hand now, man. He does it again to me. He keeps interrupting (laughs) me. He's trying to make me look like an idiot. So anyway, I thought that was just, I thought that was pretty hilarious. And Bobby turns that into a running bit for the rest of the show. Yeah. Where any time he gets interrupted, especially by Mongo, Mm -hmm. he just flips out. And it's really funny. Yeah, I during during this intro, I mean, I, I it was another moment where I was like waiting for the match to begin, so I wasn't really watching, and then I just start hearing Bobby Heaton just like screaming, right. and not only that, but like he's playing himself off as the idiot, 
Yeah, he's because he's, he's yelling, but like he's clearly making sure he doesn't make sense of his argument. Well, and he says he sets them up with the "I don't need you to make me look stupid." Yeah, like that's just setting someone else up to make a joke at your expense. Yeah, and the fact that he's so willing to do that, he's God, he's the best. Yeah, it <laughs> it just like that just shows like the the talent that he has to find to find entertainment in something that, like so minuscule like someone talking over him briefly right he turns it into like a half hour (laughs) (laughs) anyway uh next sting and lex luger come to the ring together so the announcers are denied their chance to speculate endlessly as to why they came out separately well i mean lex luger was like 10 steps behind him which is something they mentioned later yeah but they weren't like i mean they basically want them walking hand in hand to the ring (laughs) staring (laughs) into each other's eyes (laughs) which again like sting and luger came out to the same music they look way more cohesive than say randy savage and hulk hogan and they they have not made any sort of issue about like how are they going to have a tag match tomorrow we get uh, another commercial before the match including a promo for super brawl which is still coming up on february 11th and still sounds generic as fuck (laughs) Super Brawl, it's generic as fuck. <laughs> Matches are going to happen. <laughs> Titles are going to be there. You should watch it. Luger and Stevie Ray start the match. Stevie Ray blocks a Luger corner charge by getting a boot up and starts clubbing and punching him. He chokes Luger for a bit, but boot- Luger comes back with a loaded forearm shot. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things about Luger is that loaded forearm. I think that's so funny. Yeah. Uh, This is when the announcers start hammering on about them being walking to the ring 10 feet apart from each other like that's a big fucking deal (laughs) right harlem heat tries double teaming lex but he nails them both with a double clothesline and tags in sting who hits uh, both men with stinger splashes sting then goes for a very early scorpion deathlock on stevie ray but booker breaks it up with uh his big axe kick which Mm -hmm. always looks so fucking cool and athletic while the ref is busy trying to get luger out of the ring uh, Heat takes over on Sting. Uh, they basically just work him for a few minutes with bullshit, like mm-hmm. arm bars, nerve holds, chin locks, just rest spot after rest spot after rest spot. Yeah. Oh, the thing that, to Harlem Heat's uh, credit, is every time Luger came in and distracted the referee, they made sure to do something illegal. Yes. So, like the first time, I think Booker T start was like doing close fist punches. Yep. And then later on, he is just like deliberately choking. So it was. I, I thought that was a really good element of Harlem Heat, like, taking advantage of the distraction. Absolutely. Uh, it's also kind of notable here because of how the ending plays out that at one point during this whole sequence where they're working over Sting, a tag is clearly allowed between Harlem Heat, even though Nick Patrick can't see it because he's pushing Lex out of the ring. Yeah. Uh, when he turns around, Harlem Heat's just switching, and he's <laughs> fine with that. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Uh, Heat just keeps working over Sting. They eventually hit him with a double suplex that gets him in position for the Harlem Hangover, mm-hmm. one of my favorite finishing moves at this point. Uh, that is the flipping leg drop off the top rope that Booker hits. But in this case, Sting moves and hits the hot tag to Lex Luger. But Nick Patrick didn't see the tag, Uh-oh. so he stops Luger from coming in, which means one of two things in my mind. Well, three potential things. <laughs> okay. One is he favors heels, he's evil. Uh-huh. Two, is he's racist, and he didn't know that Harlem Heat had switched 
because he can't tell the difference between them. <laughs> okay. Three, he's an incompetent boob, <laughs> which is the most likely. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, did, I did think of the, the racist part. Yeah, he I just like didn't know that they had tagged because they're black <laughs> and he can't tell. <laughs> so uh, I, I need to make sure that I clearly explain what happens here, because if you pay attention to all the factors, it's really kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Stevie Ray fucks up badly he needs to come in the ring so the ref focuses on him and misses the tag between lex and sting Mm -hmm. but he doesn't know that he's supposed to come in there so booker who is lying on the ground having just missed the harlem hangover he looks over to stevie and starts yelling at him to come in the ring then beckons him with his hand like four or five times get in the fucking ring (laughs) so stevie finally comes to the ring so nick patrick misses uh, the tag mm-hmm. so that then Luger uh, is kicked back out of the ring so he's on the ring apron there the heels are working over Sting Nick Patrick is trying to get Stevie Ray out of the ring okay so he doesn't see when Jimmy Hart heads to ringside and hands Luger something a yeah. foreign object is handed by Jimmy Hart to Luger so that sequence averted without major crisis thanks to booker (laughs) letting stevie ray know what's up (laughs) the heels beat up sting uh on the outside a little bit before rolling him back into the ring so booker and sting are still in the ring they they kind of go back and forth for a little bit then they both come off the ropes and try to hit uh they both go for cross bodies Mm -hmm. one of my favorite spots in wrestling is two guys careening off the ropes jumping into the air and hitting each other with cross bodies that that's one of those moves that looks like it legitimately hurts. i don't know how it can do anything other than hurt like a son of a bitch yeah they collide violently <laughs> sting recovers first and hits luger for the tag which this time is recognized by nick patrick okay stevie once again shows that he is completely incompetent because <laughs> here's what he does he runs into the ring like he's going to stop the tag yeah but then when he fails to stop the tag he instantly rather than return to his corner or starting beating up the faces he jumps to the outside why does he jump to the outside because the finish requires him to be the outside but he just does it before any motivation exists for him to do it (laughs) so he's like i need to be over there i'm just going to jump through the ropes even though to anyone watching there's no reason why i'm doing it right so it's it's stevie ray has no fucking ring psychology at all (laughs) it drives me crazy so he's supposed to be on the outside because he needs to brawl with Sting yep. to explain why they don't take part in the finish because Sting can't see the finish, which is going to be important in a second. Right. So Sting is thrown to the outside, uh, but it happens a good three seconds after Stevie Ray is already headed out there. <laughs> so Sting is on the outside. Stevie Ray is beating him up. So Sting does not see when Lex hits Booker T with the foreign object that was handed to him by Jimmy Hart, uh-huh. which turns out to be a roll of silver dollars. And and how do we how do we find this out that they're silver dollars? Because when he punches Booker T, <laughs> it essentially explodes into a shower of silver dollars <laughs> that Nick Patrick then just has to ignore when counting the three. Why is the ring covered in money? I don't know. One, two, three. Jesus Christ. <laughs> the referee incompetence in this episode is he's, there's there's no comparison he, to anything else we've watched. He's, he's basically he's doing the count on top of the foreign <laughs> objects. 
The he's toys are everywhere. He also, I don't know if you noticed, but as soon as the match is over, he books it. <laughs> he gets the fuck out of there. He is, like, embarrassed. <laughs> so he heads out. Lex and Sting are your new WCW Tag Team Champions. Uh, Lex celebrates with the belt like he's mm-hmm. just won the lottery, whereas Sting is just very confused, uh, selling, you know, that he doesn't quite get the ending. Yeah. Of course, he didn't see the foreign object, but he... Which is kind of curious. He just assumes, like, there's no way that Lex could have, like, hit Booker T that hard or something. Like, why is Sting confused? You didn't see what happened, but in tag matches all the time you don't see what happens. You hear from the ref that you won and you celebrate. I don't get I don't get how Sting is able to already sell this, like, confusion. <laughs> because if he saw anything, if he was looking in the ring at all... He yeah. would see the shower of silver dollars, and <laughs> right. he wouldn't need to be confused. He would know. <laughs> you see, you see Booker T laying there, out, out cold. There's, uh, there's silver dollars all over the place, and you kind of like, hmm, how did, what happened here? I also tend to hate storylines that revolve around one character not watching Nitro. Or any replays, oh, or right. talking to anyone in the back. Yeah, like the fact that Sting. Uh, is probably, and we'll find out tomorrow when we do the show, uh-huh. the fact that Sting is probably going to show up tomorrow and act like he still doesn't know that they won the match by cheating. Right. That kind of shit drives me crazy in wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> it's treated like it's a real sport, and this is your weekly you know, installment of it, mm-hmm. except for when the Bears play the Packers, if there's like a blown call, uh, fucking Aaron Rodgers can talk about it the next day to the press because he watched the game film. Because right. it's a sport, you know? <laughs> right. It's fucking dumb when wrestlers yeah. just act like I mean, they don't. And not only that, they hype it up as like the most watched wrestling program. Right. Everyone sees it. So at some point you think, I mean, <laughs> I mean they've shown for pay-per-views that sometimes it's hard to get the, the footage right. the next day. Right, right. So maybe it might take a day or two, but he will eventually be able to get see what happened. What if Sting is going to face Harlem Heat again in his future? Shouldn't wouldn't he want to do scouting? You know, it's right. whatever. Okay, their, let's move on. Let's move on. Their weakness is silver dollars, <laughs> of course. God. All right. So uh. after a commercial, we get to see. <laughs> we are exposed. We are privileged to, <laughs> to see the one-man gang me- make his in-ring Nitro debut. <laughs> of course, we saw him come out with a dungeon last week, uh, but he didn't really do anything other than stand around with his belt. Mm-hmm. So here is his real debut. Uh, his real name is George Gray, and he is a South Carolina native who has been wrestling since the age of 17. He worked in various NWA-affiliated territories under a few different nicknames and gimmicks, uh, first getting the one-man gang moniker during an, very, an early start with uh, the World Championship Wrestling when it was still technically Jim Crockett Promotions. Okay. It was going by the WCW name, but it wasn't yet owned by Turner. Uh, he was even the heavyweight champion of Bill Watts' uh, short-lived Universal Wrestling Federation, uh, where he feuded over the belt with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Eventually, he was noticed by the WWF, who... I'm sure loved his size because that's, you know, what Vince really gives a shit about. Yeah. Um, he's billed at 6'9", 450. He's probably not that tall and probably not that fat, but he is a very big guy. Mm-hmm. He wrestled in the WWF as one-man gang for a couple years before manager Slick announced that gang was actually of African descent and planned <laughs> to get back in touch with his roots. 
uh, in a very offensive backstage skit with like guys jumping around and like dancing by a fire and doing African chanting. Yeah. He becomes Akeem, the African dream. <laughs> a not very subtle Dusty Rhodes impression uh, that poked fun at Dusty for his mannerisms and speech. And I guess the fact that someone who lives in Stamford, Connecticut, thinks that Dusty talks too much like black people. <laughs> so I don't know who that Connecticut person might be <laughs> who's also pretty fucking racist. <laughs> but there you go. He returned to WCW in 1991, where in a backstage segment that I really want to see, Kevin Sullivan sent the spirit of Akeem back to the underworld oh. <laughs> and brought back a now insane one-man gang. <laughs> Back to the underworld. Yep. <laughs> Nothing major came from that wrong, and he was uh, fired eventually by then WCW Executive Vice President Jim Hurd uh, for refusing to lose to PN News. He rejoined the company in 95. Uh, we haven't seen him very much, um, and we've already talked about how he got the title back controversially from Kensuke Sasaki, so mm -hmm. that sort of catches us up on the one-man gang. Uh, in the beginning of this match, Hogan is firmly in control pretty much from moment one. He goes for a very early big boot, but the gang holds onto the ropes and then does my absolute favorite heel uh, thing. Do you know what it is? Did you notice? I I told what did he, you he gets whipped. Point to the brain. He points to his brain. Yeah. You know what I love. Yes. I love when heels outsmart someone and then point at their brain yeah. so we know how they outsmarted him. <laughs> it was with their brain. <laughs> it's in their head up here. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's pointing at his brain, his big, big brain. Hogan taps him on the shoulder and he turns around just shocked that Hogan is still upright i guess because all he did was not get drop kicked i don't know why he thinks that hogan's dead <laughs> right. uh so hogan just keeps beating him up uh speculating on elizabeth's actions tomorrow at the clash bischoff brings up that elizabeth and flair have a history going way back to the storyline leading up to wrestlemania 8 yeah when uh it was intimated by flair that he had had a affair with elizabeth uh and there was some doctored photos and a whole thing mm-hmm uh, Bobby says that you can never trust a woman, and you can't trust Ric Flair. So who knows? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> After beating up Gang outside the ring for a bit, Hogan rolls him into the ring and nails him with a punch so hard that Gang stumbles away and starts doing some of his old Akeem like hand jive mannerisms. <laughs> I like the only explanation for what happened is that Hogan punched him so hard he thought he was Akeem again. <laughs> it's really weird. Hogan uh, then pokes him in the eye and bites him in the face because why the fuck not, right? <laughs> right. Why not? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I loved Hulk Hogan so much as a kid. And growing, uh, you know, getting older and learning a lot more, I get like that he's a dick. But I never hated him nearly as much as when we started watching the show. Like, watching how he behaves in WCW, yeah. he is such a fucking prick. <laughs> it's your, your memory of Hulk Hogan is he torn down episode by episode. Yeah, I'll never be able to watch WrestleMania 6 again. Although, I guess I was cheering for, uh, for Ultimate Warrior anyway. Yeah. So, anyway, getting back to this episode. Uh... One Man Gang finally uh, gets a chance when Hogan telegraphs a back body drop, so Gang clubs him on the back and hits him with a body slam. 
He then hits the 747 splash, which is his finisher, mm-hmm. I want to remind you. Uh, Hogan no-sells it, hulks up, slams the one-man gang, hits the leg drop for the win, and that's that. Yeah. The entire match, Hogan let gang get in virtually no offense other than three moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, he no-sold his finisher and then beat him like it was nothing. Yeah. I don't know that anyone has looked worse in the ring like even Hugh Morris looked better, uh, you know he had a lot more offense yeah. than One Man Gang got in. Just a shit match. Yep. Why that had to be the main event, and Flair and Savage jerk the curtain. I'd like to say it's beyond me, but it's not. That implies that I don't know why. I know why. <laughs> right. Gee, it's just bullshit. Uh huh. Fucking a. Anyway. The four horsemen in the Dungeon of Doom, of course, come out to attack Hogan. Mm-hmm. Notably, the Zodiac attacks him. Uh, with the Zodiac has been sort of his savior recently, and they've been playing up that, you know, like I said, maybe he's getting some of those old Ed Leslie memories back or something. But no, here he comes and attacks him. Uh, Savage then runs out for the save. The giant gets held back by Zodiac and one-man gang. So now Zodiac is saving Hogan again. <laughs> I, oh, oh god yeah uh they clear the ring of course and uh savage and hogan are standing tall uh eventually mean gene gets in the ring and hogan and savage are standing tall and they start again talking about their title match that exists nowhere but in their heads <laughs> i'm not going to include an audio clip because they don't say anything that they didn't say last time I think they they reiterate again that there will definitely be in Las Vegas, so. Yes, and they talk about uh, tomorrow night's match where they're going to have Miss Elizabeth and Kevin Green out, uh, but it's it's all stuff they said earlier in the show. I don't see the need for this at all. Yeah. The announcers yammer uh, their normal closing show remarks, and Bobby gets so mad at Mongo interrupting him again that this time he just throws down his headset and walks off yelling yeah (laughs) and mongo uh is very like charmingly amused by this he's just got the biggest smile on his face like oh that bobby (laughs) mongo for everything negative i can say about him he is completely unflappable like nothing pierces that just like oh shucks you know he's just a happy-go-lucky guy and that kind of actually sounds like it's true backstage because i remember hearing I forget. Maybe it's in Flair's book. He talks about Scott Hall constantly fucking with Mongo. Oh, that's right. You, I think you mentioned He's that before. He's constantly fucking with him. And Flair says, like, you don't want to mess with this guy. He is legitimately very, very tough. Mm-hmm. And if and he says if, if uh, Mongo wanted to, he'd have no trouble kicking Scott Hall's ass. Yeah. But Mongo just laughed everything off because he was completely unflappable. He was just... Always in a great mood. Didn't have, like, a bone to pick with anybody. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he's shit at announcing, but just seems like a likable guy in real life. <laughs> right. Anyway, in our Raw recap, uh, before, I guess, I get into the Raw recap, it's worth noting that on January 21st, uh, Shawn Michaels won the Royal Rumble, and Bret Hart retained the WWF Championship against The Undertaker. I believe that Bret has to... Uh, defend the title against Diesel before WrestleMania. Yes. But essentially, the main event of WrestleMania is clearly being telegraphed as Sean versus Brett. Uh, yeah, and also, Sean will have to defend his Royal Rumble contestantism against uh, contestantism? Owen Hart. Contestantism? Contestantism. That's a thing. Against Owen Hart at the oh, next okay. interview. Oh, okay. Um, but for all intents and purposes, it's clear to, to just about anybody that Sean and Brett are heading towards a showdown. Yeah. 
So in our actual Raw report from this night, uh, January 22nd, Vader makes his Raw debut by defeating Savio Vega. He then goes on a rampage assaulting the ref, which brings out WWF President Gorilla Monsoon, who suspends him. Vader then splashes the Hall of Famer against the turnbuckles before nailing him with an elbow drop and a Vader bomb. That writes off Gorilla Monsoon from television. Uh, WWF is going to be getting a new on-screen authority figure soon. Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, defeated Razor Ramon by countout due to interference by the 1-2-3 kid. Uh, more Billionaire Ted aired. It's it's more of the same. The first couple were pretty funny. It's it's kind of getting old now. Yeah. And in the main event, Bret Hart defeated Gold Dust. In the ratings, you'll remember that last week Nitro had a 3.5 and blew Nitro or blew Raw out of the water by a full point. Uh-huh. Uh huh. There does not seem to be any lasting effects from that as Nitro has a 2.7 tonight to Raw's 2.9. Uh, it makes sense that Raw won coming off the Royal Rumble. Yeah. But it's still like. I don't get why so many more people watched last week. Uh, that just seems like some weird anomaly that just happened. Who was your MVP of this episode of Nitro? Uh, my MVP, I would say, uh, was Brian Pillman. Okay. Um, it just, I think this is the first time his uh, loose cannon character came into fruition through a match. Mm-hmm. And it just... It made his, uh, it made watching him in the ring even more captivating than it already was. I mean, since he's a great wrestler, but just there's just so much going on. You just kind of want to keep your eyes on him at all times. And I, I think that he, as as a result, they had a very, uh, maybe not a great match, but certainly a memorable one. Absolutely, my MVP is going to be Bobby Heenan. Uh, he was just <laughs> on fire tonight. Hilarious throughout the broadcast, especially when he stumbled just luckily stumbled upon this bit of being furious about being interrupted all the time yeah uh just to see how it flowed naturally from something that occurred and became a bit Mm -hmm. uh i just thought wow what a great job by bobby (laughs) uh my match of the night was definitely pillman versus malenko i think that was a very good match it is on the um brian pillman dvd that wwf put out a few years ago wwe now uh, so it's certainly, you know, a match that's been considered notable in his career. Uh, what about you? Uh, yeah, I'd have to go go the same way. I mean, for the elements in the match that maybe didn't work, it made it more compelling um, due to the due to his character just uh, seemingly trying to throw uh, Demolinko off his track right. and maybe make him improvise a little bit more than maybe Demolinko is used to or is comfortable with. Um but for everything that for everything of the chemistry that was kind of weird, it made it really interesting. So mm-hmm. I definitely have to go with that match as well. All right. Uh, in other news around the wrestling world, the WCW Hotline featured a ten minute interview uh, with Eric Bischoff that was conducted by Mike Tenay. Summarizing the basic points of this, uh, it's all kind of a response to the wrestling billionaire Ted's wrestling war room. Sure. Uh, Bischoff defended the WCW steroid policy falsely claiming that several WCW stars jumped to WWF where the tests are easier, there's seemingly no truth to that. Yeah. Uh, he accurately points out how hypocritical it is of McMahon, who spent years embroiled in a federal court case <laughs> over his use of ster- or the use of steroids by members of his company. Mm-hmm. Um, so for him to attack WCW is disingenuous at best. Yeah. Uh, he knocks the billionaire Ted skits as a desperate move by a desperate man, 
and says uh, that he feels bad for McMahon, who is clearly behind the times. Uh, the example he gives specifically of that is the Gold Dust character. Mm-hmm. He says that Dustin Rhodes is a talented worker, um, but that the creative direction given by McMahon is just downright terrible. And certainly at this time, Goldust is very controversial. Yeah. I think it's right around this time that McMahon, during a Goldust match on Raw, actually like reads on air like a statement that says like this is not meant to be homophobic in nature. Like I forget, but he he like he breaks character to just say like, "Hey, this isn't homophobic. It's all about stalking, not about." gay stalking but like no it's about gay stalking like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> yeah considering that at wrestlemania 12 it, get, it gets like a whole new level right <laughs> uh and in other kind of news this is just a funny note i grabbed from Meltzer. uh a couple days before this nitro on the january 20th episode of saturday night the one-man gang defended his u.s title against the super giant ninja Oh, formerly yeah. known as uh, the Yeti, uh-huh. and Meltzer says that may be the worst match of the year. <laughs> and I think that's especially funny because it's January. <laughs> so I'm definitely going to seek that match out <laughs> in my uh, new collection of, of Saturday Night episodes. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, about all. I think maybe we'll uh, run down the card a little bit of Clash of the Champions since we are going to cover that tomorrow, at least the big matches. Uh, we know that we're going to get Conan versus Psychosis for the Mexican Heavyweight Championship. Yep. We are going to get Sting and Luger versus the Blue Bloods uh, with the tag titles presumably now on the line now that Sting and Luger are your new champions. Yeah, I would assume so. Your new heavyweight champion, Randy Savage, is going to team with Hulk Hogan and take on the team of Ric Flair and the Giant. And uh, as we know, Hogan and Savage are going to have Miss Elizabeth and Kevin Green of the Pittsburgh Steelers on their side. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I believe that I mentioned that Pillman is going to be taking on Eddie Guerrero. That That is an advertised match. And I think we get another match or two on the actual event. Um, but you will have to tune in tomorrow to find out what those matches yeah. are. Uh, the Road Warriors are going to be wrestling. Oh, the Road Warriors are back together. Are they wrestling or just on the show? Uh, I don't know if they specify that. I would have assumed that they're going to have a match, but... Well, we will find out tomorrow so. where the big boys play... 20 years of Nitro. Tell you what, guys. This is one heck of a night. Two title changes. A new WCW World Heavyweight Champion in the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Don't feel so bad, Bobby. Really, it's going to be okay. And new World Tag Team Champions. What do you think about it, man? Well, you know, it can only happen here on Nitro. But tomorrow night, when the stars come out, this place is going to be packed with every television movie personality in the world, live on TBS. And you know what's going to happen? The big giant's going to stand there with Ric Flair, and they're going to look across that ring at Savage and at Hogan. And sitting in the corner is Miss Elizabeth, as beautiful as ever. And Kevin Green, you're not going to make it to the Super Bowl, pal. You're going to be history if your butt leaves that chair and get in the face of the other. Oh, no. He's interrupting me again. Somebody go get him a pill. Somebody go get him a pill. See you, Bobby. He's gone off the wall, ladies and gentlemen. Hey. Go ahead, go ahead, Bobby, you're out of here. You're relieved of duty, and you're invited to enjoy the Clash of go the Champions away. live on TBS 805 Eastern. Thanks for joining us.